Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. This is episode 406 of the podcast. It is March 24th, 2021. Our guest today is Dr. Ivan Zak. The topic is using lean to address burnout in veterinary medicine. If you want to find links and more, go to leanblog.org slash 406. Well, hi, welcome again to the podcast. Um, joined today, um, the second time that he's co-hosting, um, we're joined by Dr. Chip Ponsford. He's a doctor of veterinary medicine. He co-hosted episode 254 with me. He's my t- go-to guy on um, all things veterinary medicine. He is the author of the book, Lean Veterinary Practice Management, Higher Quality, Less Waste, Better Resource Utilization, and Continuous Improvement. Um, So with that, uh, Chip, let me welcome you back to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. And good good afternoon to to Ivan. Glad to talk to him again, too. Good to see you again. Yeah. And and by co-host, maybe, you know, I should tee things up and get out of the way and and, uh, let the two of you have a conversation here. Um, you know, our guest um, joining us is Dr. Ivan Zakharenkov. We're going to call him uh, Dr. Zach, as he often goes by, or we're just going to call him Ivan. But among other things, he is the chief executive officer at Veterinary Integration Solutions. Um, he's the co-host of a podcast as well called the Veterinary Innovation Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about um, some work that he's done, um, a dissertation and related articles on lean thinking and veterinary organizations for improving employee experience and reducing burnout. So I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to delve into. So Ivan, um, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Good. Thanks for reminding me, Mark. Good to see you, Chip, again, and uh, I'm happy to be here. So, um, you know, I gave just kind of, you know, briefest of introductions, but Ivan, could you tell us a little bit more, you know, about your background and your career, some of the path that you've taken? Yeah, so uh, I'm just thinking where to start. I guess just uh, by the by the fact that I'm a veterinarian, just like uh, Chip, and um, the um, I spend my time as a veterinarian uh, for the most part in the uh, ER, so yeah, emergency veterinarian for about 12 years, but. Along the way, I um, did a lot of locomotor relief work, which is popular among the ER veterinarians. Usually you go into ER because you can have a couple of days on and then many days off. And then as many of us, off, uh, as many as, um, of us do, in, on the days off, you take extra work and then you work as a relief veterinarian between the ER shifts. And uh, when you're, you know, new grad, you want to learn more and do a lot of things. That sounds like a lot of fun. And um and it was for a couple of years until uh, until I had a pretty severe uh, burnout, uh, which led to a lot of dark places, and uh, and took me off uh, uh, the veterinary duty for actually six months. So, uh, so I spent some time recovering from that, and um, went back and uh, successfully continued to work as a veterinarian. But then. Um, I, I had an interest in uh, optimizing things, um, and uh, one of the things that I've seen in the many veterinary clinics that I was exposed to is inefficiency in the process, and um, specifically in the ER management. 
so that led to coming up with an idea to optimize the workflow between the uh, patients and patient records and how the medications are administered and how everything is recorded. So, so I ended up partnering up with a, a close friend of mine uh, who was a developer, software developer, and we built a product called SmartFlow, which eventually we coined as the workflow optimization system. Uh, and then since then, we deployed it to about 600 hospitals uh, before it was acquired by the uh, probably biggest technology company in the veterinary domain uh, called IDEX. And um, there I led the software division and uh, didn't last too long. I uh, didn't like staying in the corporate environment. And uh, in parallel, I uh, decided that I want to learn more about business. And uh, the I ended up doing MBA. And at the conclusion of that, it was in the international healthcare management. Uh, the dissertation topic that I um, that I chose was, uh, and the dissertation topic that I chose uh, was uh, applying lean thinking in the veterinary domain. Um, to decrease the burnout, because those were two things I was passionate about. Uh, the reason why shows lean was associated with what I was doing at SmartFlow uh, and what I learned along the way uh, from healthcare and the burnout is sort of the uh, issue dear to me. So those two, uh, I thought it would be a good combination to, um, to include in the dissertation. So, and I think that uh, as an outcome of that and some results that I found, that's the reason why I'm here. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll delve more into, um, you know, the burnout issue of what you experienced and, and what happens more broadly. Um, but I want to learn a little bit more about how and when you first got introduced to Lean. Like, what was that time frame? How many years ago was that? And do you remember, like, what that first introduction was? Yeah. So... As we build this uh, product called SmartFlow, um, the more and more I realize that there's a lot of inefficiencies along the way in the uh, in the veterinary clinics. And what I was trying to do is to outline what is that flow through the through the clinic. Uh, what is the flow of the patient from the front door to the time they're leaving the hospital? And then I realized if we can optimize some you know some areas of that process then maybe we can improve it and then incorporate it into technology. And uh, it was it was this amazing process of discovery. And I thought that I was onto something new. And uh, then someone suggested the book uh, Goal uh, to read about the uh, theory of constraints. Oh, right. And Gold then, right. yep. And then the more I delve into it, I realized that uh, not only me, but there was a lot of much smarter people than I am that invented and applied it in multiple, multiple industries, and it's called lean. Um, so I realized I don't have to discover this anymore. I can learn about this. So that's sort of how I discovered lean for myself and became passionate about it. And then I, I know you've been to at least one of the um, catalysis lean healthcare summits and as I've learned the little bit that I've ever interacted with people in veterinary medicine, um, from your lens, they would call that event maybe the Lean Human Healthcare Transformation Summit, right? 
Yeah. So the, the reason why I ended up there, because the more, the more I explored about lean and the more I was thinking about the dissertation topic, uh, I don't even know through what network and how, but someone pointed me towards John Toussaint and they said that he's a really busy guy and that I wouldn't be able to connect with him, but, uh, he actually emailed me back. Uh, and he said that if you want to learn more about lean, you should just come to this summit, uh, which I, did uh, without knowing who he is and what he does. And then uh, learning more about that, I, I you know, since Catalysis um, uh, Summit, uh, I ended up going to multiple hospitals in the human healthcare, observing lean at the different levels of the organization uh, and visiting uh, Catalysis head office several times in that um, Appleton. So uh, it's been quite a journey because I use the healthcare then to learn lean and see can we apply it in veterinary medicine so that was sort of the discovery process and the part of the literature review that i did for the work uh for the dissertation yeah and you know there's there's a phrase i've been taught uh along the way or i've heard in a lot of places this idea of adopt and adapt and so i'm curious if you know uh, for one like you know human healthcare is adopting lean from its origins in the manufacturing space. And sometimes there is reasonable need um, or desire to adapt it to a setting that is different. What was your, um, like, you know, what resonated from human healthcare and, and what, in, in your view, Ivan, needs to be different? How would you adopt and adapt coming into veterinary medicine? So I think that the uh, the main thing that resonated with me and the way I linked it to burnout is, uh, you know, lean, it, it sometimes people look at as just the manufacturer tool, you know, and uh, uh, reducing the waste and and that's immediately accepted by the frontline staff is that they're, they're the waste and they're going to be reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, and uh, think, yeah. a lot of that, I think, happened in NHS that kind of left a bad taste there in the in the UK. Um, and then what I heard at the catalysis, uh, summit, what really, really inspired me is that it was not the process optimization only, which part of it, it is, but more the principles that come with the, with lean thinking. And, uh, one of the most important ones is, uh, respect for people. And I think that that sort of when I sort of aha moment came to me and I thought that that's where the burnout could be uh, addressed by if we respect more people that do the actual work, maybe that's the area that I should learn more about lean. Uh, But that sort of answers how I got inspired, but how I think we could uh, adopt. So I think adopting that is important. Uh, what I found challenging, which almost I almost decided not to pick this topic for dissertation, is because I thought that how uh, the big difference is that healthcare organization and and hospitals are large facilities with a complex management structure, and veterinary clinic is somewhat a small organization. It's a small business, um, and you could apply it there, but the scalability of it is questionable. And, um, you know, I really like the book that uh, Dr. Ponsford read, and uh, it's amazing for the hospital level. It outlines all the processes and optimization, but how do you apply it uh, at scale and make uh, all 32,000, you know, veterinary clinics in the North America to apply this process? So I think that that's where I stumble uh, to understand how can we apply it at scale. And I think that now we're sort of having having a vision of how to adapt it to our industry. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, you know, what have you found in in your research, Ivan, about um, how widespread burnout is in veterinary medicine? So we, what we did uh, in, the, so the purpose uh, and, and the way how I, you know, thought that we could uh, take the learnings from the healthcare and, uh, and apply to veterinary medicine, I thought it was through consolidation. And consolidation is something that's happening in the veterinary domain and somewhat uh, uh, looked uh, at as a negative. Um, and in many instances, it is. Um, because I thought that people in general burn out more through the process of acquisition of their business. And that was the original idea. Can I find out if they burn out more when the practice is acquired? And then can we work with consolidators as the organization that could apply management at scale, like in human healthcare as a large organization and do something different, not one-to-one-to-one clinic, but at scale. So that was the purpose of it. Um, so the original questions that I wanted to ask, and I did a survey, which there was uh, almost 1,500 respondents to, is to see whether the consolidated clinics are burnout out more than the uh, individually owned ones. Uh, and I could not statistically prove that. Um, there was slight evidence towards the fact that there's clinics, but when you uh, consolidation, but when you put it through a statistical analysis, it was insignificant. But uh, the other finding that I was looking for, there's a lot of uh, media, there's a lot of uh, reports about the veterinarians um, being at higher risk of suicide and the burnout and experiencing it myself, um, you know, the topic dear to me. But I wanted to know, is there actual problem or is it like, you know, shark attacks and it just gets a lot of coverage and it's not that widespread. So I wanted to basically survey enough people to see uh, whether we are in fact burned out. And, and the, the survey showed that we definitely are uh, most respondents. Um, and we use the professional fulfillment index that was used in Stanford before, uh, which is a proven um, a tool to use for burnout assessment and healthcare uh, workers in the uh, human healthcare. And, uh, and yes, we are burned out. So that was, that was conclusion number one. Uh, and there was a couple more conclusions if you want to dive into that further. Um, yeah, maybe we can come back to those other conclusions. Um, one other question I wanted to ask before I know Chip has a follow-up question on some of this. Do you characterize burnout as um, yes, no, or is there sort of a range and a spectrum, um, however you might try to gauge that? Um, well, um, from the clinical perspective, I think, you know, it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not in that domain to actually uh, give a precise, precise description, but the way I experientially, I think, uh, felt it, uh, there is a, there is a point at which you just don't want to do what you're doing. Um, and I think there, there, you know, there's compassion fatigue and then there's a burnout, which is slightly two different things. And when you definitely don't come out of it, regardless of vacations and days off, and then you feel like you, you can't, uh, continue doing what you've been trained to do and feel like you're in the trap because you're in a significant debt and you know that you can't do anything else because that was your entire life, uh, direction. Um, it's a really dark cloud to pedal back out of. And, um, and, and there, there is some sort of a breaking point, but further, when I was building a software product, I definitely felt burned out. Uh, but I kind of, I think I, I did plow through it. So, 
Um, there's probably a better explanation that I just gave, but, uh, but I think that there's a breaking point where you just need to disconnect and pivot and, or even change profession because you're, uh, you're going to end up in a dark place. Mm, gosh. Yeah. That's, it's, it's unfortunate when it happens to anybody. Um, I mean, I've done two episodes here in the podcast series with, um, Dr. Paul Deschant, who's a physician and been a leader in uh, human healthcare organizations. Um, we've done two episodes talking about burnout. Um, episode 230 is one of them. And, and he co-authored a book um, with Diane Shannon um, about burnout in, uh, in medicine. In fact, Diane Shannon, she's Dr. Shannon, but she um, is, is one who really uh, quit practicing medicine and became a writer because of um, her experience and, and her burnout. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's sad to see, uh, or hear about, um, but you know, from that research about, you know, kind of the prevalence of burnout chip, you had a follow-up question to dig a little deeper on that. Well, I think that, um, yeah, thanks. Um, I've been doing this for about, uh, 40 years, had my own practice for quite a number of years, worked at corporate, been doing relief work now, um, Burnout and compassion fatigue has been um, a problem for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I went through it uh, with my practice. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dark and scary time uh, to get through that. Fortunately, I had um, a, a wife that understood and, and, and knew what to do and, and knew how to help me get through it. Um, what so this is this has been going on for a while yet the demographics of veterinary medicine have changed dramatically since i i got out it used to be a a, a very much male dominated um um profession now it's almost exclusively female um uh, they you know and and their work life balance uh, is different than it was for my generation Yet the, the problem still exists, uh, this burnout and compassion fatigue. So what is it about veterinary medicine that it, it, it seems to supersede generations or, or gender or, or anything like that? Is that a question to me? Ivan? Yeah, Ivan, yeah. What, are, what are your thoughts um, or so research on that? So we did, I mean, you know, I can I can only have statistical answers that I bumped into or read about. I think that um, we did not specify the gender question actually on the survey that we did, so I can't really respond to that. But I just recently read a different research that uh, stated that females are three and a half more likely than a general population to commit suicide veterinarians and males are two and a half. So females are actually more predisposed right. statistically. Um, and then uh, from what I've done in the survey, uh, the respondents uh, that were burnout more were 30 years and under compared to 60, 65 sort of baby boomers generation. And it was a significant difference. So a younger veterinarian seemed to be burning out more uh, than uh, the ones with the more experience, which we did not find why. I have my hypothesis around it, and which I can probably uh, expand on. But uh, but we didn't. That that was the that was the results that we found. 
Okay. Um, Chip, did you have a follow-up to that? Well, um, the other one of the other questions I had um, was um, the look at comparing us to to physicians. Our undergrad courses are the same. Um, our grade point average needs to be the same. We spend the same number of years in in um, in uh, veterinary school or medical school. The only big difference is that I can see is, is a couple of things. One is that physicians are required to do an extra two to three years of mentored uh, clinical experience. And I wonder if that may be a reason that that they seem to handle things better than than we do, especially for the for the young ones that are coming out with without that mentored experience mm-hmm. in veterinary and, medicine. Yeah, and you're, and you're talking about residency, I guess. Is the, yeah, residency the and intern yeah. internship. Is the, internship. Those things okay. do it. Those things do occur, um, and uh, in in veterinary medicine. And I was also kind of related to that. Is there a difference between the burnout rate in the general population or the general practitioner and the burnout rate and fatigue in those that have specialization. So we did not find, at least we didn't focus or saw the significant difference between the specialists, but I think that our representation was more of a general practitioner. So I think it was the ones without the intern, uh, I don't know with or without the internship or specialty. But I think that, you know, in general, since the survey and since I looked more into this topic, I, I went all the way back to the initial uh, triggers that were defined by Maslick, I think, I think originally of what the burnout is and uh, and what is it triggered by. And the six classic triggers of burnout is, I think, what is more important rather than the amount of education or clinical practice spend. It's not really the knowledge. I think it's the exposure to the triggers that are out there. And the six triggers that are that are outlined as a classic ones is everything that I could think of that happens during the uh, acquisition of the hospital. It's the lack of control. So veterinarian going through acquisition, losing the control of their practice, and even though becoming somewhat affluent and independent financially, they cannot control their team anymore. So that's the first one. Uh, value conflict in the organization is a big trigger for um, the burnout. And then during the acquisition, again, there was a certain set of core values in the organization. And once you switch to an organization where they're forced onto your team top down, culture with the core values is not something that you can just switch because that's a different you know, anthem. It's something that is formed over a long period of time. So that conflict comes into play. Uh, insufficient reward which is uh, in veterinary medicine, quite dramatic compared to the doctors. So that's just one, another factor. Uh, Work overload, which is one of those that people usually think that that's the only one, but it's only one factor. And again, after acquisition of the hospital, there's expectations that are set onto the seller to amplify the revenue, the you know to manage your PL better. So there's there's work overload uh, among the technicians as well because they they have to acquire and uh, expect it to uh, have more responsibilities. Unfairness uh, is another one, and favoritism in the organization and breakdown of the community, where there is no candor feedback structure or the uh, conflict management. So those are the multiple factors. And I think that education really plays very little 
um, as uh, as more to what triggers we see in veterinary domain more than in human structure that is set and there's no change of those uh, things on you know regular basis. Okay, thanks, Ivan. Um, one other thing, it's just uh, going back a little bit, follow up question. Um, can you talk a little more about compassion fatigue and, and sort of you know define that and how that you said it's different than burnout, but how are those um, seem like those might be associated? Yeah, they, they they certainly are at some in some instances, but compassion fatigue is very um, is very um, specific to the healthcare workers, and um, and that's usually represented with a repeated episode of stress, um, and uh, it, it's a buildup of um, uh, of uh, of sort of the energy and and loss of empathy to the patients. But it is very specific to the healthcare workers, veterinary or uh, human healthcare. But this feeling goes away when you go on vacation, go home, and it's really related to work. Um, very similar to PTSD um, in sort of the war veterans and such. And the burnout is the exhaustion, uh, depersonalization, cynicism developed at work. And then that doesn't go away when you go home. And this sort of you're in that state of not uh, understanding how you can perform uh, further uh, what you do. Okay, thanks. That's um, very helpful um, comparison between those two. So um, maybe we you know, kind of pivot a little bit. Um, to, to your thoughts, uh, Ivan, on um, lean as, you know, if you will, a countermeasure to burnout. Like I'm trying to follow, mentally follow a little bit of a, a lean problem-solving process. I think we've established some of the, the background and the problem statement, um, you know, why this is important, what the, what the causes tend to be. Um, so we can talk about countermeasures. Why, why um, you know, what have you seen or you know, through experience or hypothesis of, of how lean addresses burnout, Ivan? So I think, again, going back to kind of seeing the difference between the healthcare and, um, and the veterinary domain, um, I think there's uh, currently sort of my purpose and, and the next, I hope, five, 10 years is, is actually to develop the business methodology that, that will help counter the burnout. Uh, but it only could be done if it's done with the interest for those that are implementing the change. And the reason why I'm looking at the consolidators is because they do have the power of influencing large number of hospitals rather than doing it at the level of one hospital. And so that's sort of number one, uh, what I took into consideration that if we want to do a significant change, we need to implement it with those that have a uh, broad uh, reach. And then I looked more at lean again, you know, empowering the the uh, the people that do the work. Uh, the visual part is important, and you know how the change is happening, and and all the you know lean thinking principles, the continuous improvement, the value creation, and the flexibility of the regimen, and as the same for the triggers, the unity around the purpose. But what we are doing, we actually combine several uh, methodologies together. And one of them is lean. Um, another one, we, we actually added Kanban to mapping value streams, not at the level of the hospital, which again, Chip, you did amazingly on the level of the hospital. What we're doing, we're raising it to the level of the organization and how change is coming from the consolidation. Because when consolidation comes in, 
they want to change everything immediately in the hospital. So you have already a group of people that are predisposed to burnout and the industry is burnout. And then they're changing the owner, they're changing the benefits, they're changing the structure, they're changing the software. And then this team right now is already predisposed to stress, already the change was lowered on them. And then after that, they go, right, all right, and now we need to increase productivity, uh, we need to increase revenue, we need to increase this, and they throw another six changes onto this team. And that can push them sort of over the edge. And then the biggest problem in the veterinary domain right now is we don't have enough veterinarians and they're leaving the hospitals where they don't like to work. So the way I see implementation of lean and other methodologies here is the proper change management process that comes into the hospital when you're acquiring the hospital and implementing change with the work in progress limit, which is more of a Kanban sort of approach. Um, and uh, with and better with one initiative at a time and with the whole organizational um, reach to the why behind it. So unite around the purpose. And then with the um, with the purpose, not only to increase the value to the investors that acquired the hospital. So it's really taking those six triggers that I outlined and then aiming the methodology against those triggers and lean intersects with the lean principles and with about four of them and they overlap and they actually work against the triggers. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about loss of control as one of those triggers, what you're describing with this you know, acquisition roll up consolidation process, it sounds like a lot of change all at once. And then it sounds like change that's being done to people. Correct. Now, some of that is by necessity, like, you know, you're, the employees didn't have input perhaps about whether the practice was acquired, but there are many things when it comes down to um, workflows and daily operations that I would argue people should have input into as opposed to exactly. having a corporate handbook thrown down on you to say, well, here, you're part of us now, go do it this way. I, I can see why that's upsetting. Exactly. That's that's sort of what we're seeing right now. And then, and that's the reason why the corporate organizations right now don't succeed. And I think that's why we have a chance to do it here, not just have a good conversation about how to, you know, make veterinarians happy, but because the the values then align, because if the biggest problem of consolidation is losing the people that do the work and that produce that value for their investors, then their goal should be to retain those people and make them happy as much <laughs> right. as they can. So now right. we're aligning the purpose and then the value. Right, right. And I mean, this sounds like a situation a lot of times, I think when it comes to employee engagement, retention, happiness, safety, patient safety, that these are not just uh, nice or correct or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, put some sort of ethical or moral judgment around it. A lot of it just ends up also being good business. What you're describing, exactly. why would you buy a business and then it doesn't seem rational to buy a business and then treat people in a way that drives away those people. And, you know, there's probably not a flood of um, other people if somebody was really looking at a business as nothing but the numbers. Um, so like, yeah, well, we'll just hire new people and maybe they'll be cheaper. It sounds like that wouldn't even really be a good strategy. It's not a strategy I would want to see, but it sounds like that wouldn't even be an effective strategy if that was somebody's mindset. Is that Fair to say, or what do you think? But it has been for a while. And that's why mm -hmm. consolidation has pretty negative sort of connotation to it in the veterinary domain and others, because mm -hmm. 
when I did the whole sort of value uh, uh, map, you know, from from the level of the pet and what the pet needs and the pet owner needs and the veterinarian and then going up. And then this new last two decades introduced into our industry consolidation, their interest and their purpose is to create the return on investment to the capital mm-hmm. that was invested to buy the clinics. And they of thought course. that they can just buy the clinics, bunch them together and resell them. And for about 10 you know, years, yeah. it's been just that 100% acquisition, own the business, fire people, cut the benefits and do mm. that. Now we're sort of coming out of that because we are running into a different wave of consolidation that wants to retain equity with the ex-owner. So they're incentivized. They have some control over these things. Uh, they also now start looking into um, into the fact that they need to improve their lives. But I think there is a lot of uh, uh, room for improvement of what they say is that they actually do, because a lot of them are saying this, but not doing. So what, what I'm sort of aiming to do is to try to make a structure in the methodology and the framework around it to actually say, okay, well, if you're saying you're improving the lives of the veterinarians, why do you balance score card level at your executive team? You're not measuring how happy you're making them because that would make sense. And a lot of this resonates with people now measuring, you know, uh, NPS score of the employees and, uh, you know, uh, satisfaction after training surveys and things like that. So there's, there's, it's happening. It's, it's converted. Um, so, Chip, let me bring you back into this because, you know, you've been uh, a practice owner. You've been an employee. I mean, what are some of your thoughts here or, or what other questions would you have for Ivan? Well, I think the um, the corporate, um, I see a lot of uh, doing relief work. I'm in and out of a lot of uh, uh, little corporate practices and stuff like that because they need they need help. They need veterinarians bought all these practices and then uh they don't have uh they can't keep the veterinarians there to uh, to work them and my view is that um you know i i call them wannabe corporations anybody that's that that you know seems to have had a, a successful practice and you know feels like they are um capable of doing multi-unit management and, and that doesn't necessarily work out just because you can manage your practice doesn't mean that you can manage 10 practices. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of these little wannabe corporations that are, that are starting up. I think as the time goes by the, 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 the ocean, the blue ocean or the red ocean is going to get a little bit bluer because these guys are going to drop out. Uh, they can't make it. And at the end, you're going to have lesser, bigger corporations running veterinary medicine. Now, the problem, the the trick with that is, is that these are managed by people that think almost exclusively in a top-down, hierarchical manner. And, um, you know, I was talking to, I was talking to, um, a guy um, yesterday wants to start up a little practice, you know, wants to start up a, a corporation. And, and we were talking about um, this idea that, yeah, you can brand it all the same. You can have the same floor plan in, in all your clinics. You can, you can have the same stock. You can, you can set up your exam rooms so they are exactly the same. Um, but each practice 
is in a different locality. It's got different demographics and it's got different staff personalities and doctor biases and all this other stuff. So to some degree, you've got to allow each individual practice to be able to regulate and innovate and um, navigate on their own uh, and not be trying to micromanage so much from 3,000 you know, 3,000 miles around uh, or 3,000 miles away. You know, the army, um, when they went to Afghanistan, had a hard problem with the Taliban and ISIS um, because they were, at that point, they were a very much hierarchical um, military. The, it, the orders came down and that's what was done. And they, they were having difficulty with the Taliban, which was much more local uh, directed and able to make decisions spur the moment. Um, I thought I turned that off. Um, they were able to make uh, uh, changes for the moment. Um, and so now the military has gone more to allowing the units on the ground to, to have more say in what that mission is going to look like and how it's going to be accomplished. And I think that's one of the big things that, that corporations are going to have to come to grips with. Yeah, so that's um, General Stanley McChrystal, who's now retired. Um, you know, his book Team of Teams really explores that a lot. And you know, I think it brings it raises other issues that are familiar to me from my lean edu- ongoing lean education. You know, there was a phrase I heard the first time I went to Japan on a lean study trip. Um, Brad Schmidt, um, who was one of the guides, um, used this phrase. Uh, unity in the essential, liberty in the non-essential. And I think you know, it comes back to these questions around what needs to be standardized, what can be standardized, and what needs to be unique. Um, you know, so I think you know, a lot of times people think standardization is, um, this might be unfair to McDonald's, but you know, the, the binder of SOPs that tells you how to do everything in um, a McDonald's as opposed to, um, you know, for a while, at least Starbucks was really teaching continuous improvement to people in the stores. You know, and I've talked to people about this before, where instead of solutions, cookie cutter solutions coming from Seattle headquarters, they were teaching people to improve because there are, to your point, Chip, stores in um, areas that are commuter locations. They're super busy in the morning and then they're dead the rest of the day. You've got, um, you know, student hangout locations where, you know, the, the demand patterns are different and the product mix is different. And, um, you know, there, there's a point, as much as um, I believe standardization can be helpful, standardization can also cause a lot of problems, um, both from a technical standpoint and a, a people standpoint. And I think that's where, you know, Ivan, you brought up the idea of uh, respect for people, I think being... One, one of the key things here. So you know, we, we, we've both kind of thrown a lot at you. What, what's your, what, what comes to mind for you on these topics, Ivan? No, I, I fully agree with both of you guys. And, and I think that that's what we're seeing in the veterinary domain. Um, then I'm, I'm very deep into consolidation, how they manage right now. This is our core customer in my new organization. And uh, what I'm seeing where the successful companies are that come in and they say, we're going to improve things that you as a veterinarian are not good at. Marketing, we're terrible at. 
the um, maybe talent acquisition, not ideal. Uh, inventory management. Eh. So those are the things if the consolidator coming in and saying, we're going to manage the back office, finance, HR, and things like that. And they do just that. That could be centralized. That would be helpful. But when the corporates are coming in and starting to say how to do the medical procedures, what to charge for, what medications to use, this is where there's A, conflict. And B, if you have an MBA or a finance degree coming in to tell veterinarians how to treat the patient, it's probably not your specialty. So I think that the, the successful, and that's what I'm seeing, the successful organizations that are coming in and truly developing the SOPs and the structure and the process and a very um, well-established change management towards the competencies that they carry outside of veterinary medicine and let veterinarians to deliver the medical services, which they're good at and trained for. Yeah. Yeah. And I might also point people, including the two of you, Ivan and Chip, you might be interested in um, one of my other podcast series, the My Favorite Mistake podcast. I just interviewed um, a chiropractor, um, Dr. Kelly Henry. It's episode 34 of My Favorite Mistake. And he's got a book out now about uh, improving the customer experience. And one of the things he's talked about where I've talked to other um, specialists in other settings about is that you know, the medical education process teaches you about how to care for the patient. It doesn't tell you about running the business. And so Dr. Henry, you know, it's talking about his first time out of school. Oh, I, you know, it'd be easy to figure this out. I'm going to open a chiropractic practice. And he really, really struggled. And he, he didn't figure things out later. Um, and until later, he, he then bought a practice in a different city that had a built-in customer base. So that was a different challenge. Um, he, you know, he had really struggled to build a customer base. And then what he's learned along the way is, you know, that customer retention is the most effective lever. You know, he, he has data that he had point to, um, I'm paraphrasing, you know, if you can reduce, if you can improve your customer retention by 5%, that leads to a huge multiplier in terms of profitability. And oftentimes, you know, back to these details, you were talking about Ivan of running a business, um, that people might not be good at, or they may so you know put all their effort into attracting new patients to replace the ones who leave. So to me, as a lean thinker, I kind of step back and say, well, what are the root causes of people leaving your practice and not coming back anymore? You know, so I think some of this lean mindset beyond the tools might equip people um, to solve some of those problems. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, that resonates with me with the, you know, retaining. It's it's very simple. In veterinary medicine across North America, average spent per visit in veterinary hospital is $160. Average lifetime spend per pet is $13,500. So your customer retention is proportionally uh, related to the amount of time they visit you again and again and again. So that's that completely makes sense to me. Yeah, and uh, there are probably parallels then to the question, the challenge of employee retention. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But that those are different. You know, there there's a lot that comes with it, and that going back to the burnout triggers and the reasons why people leave. And the other thing that is different about the burnout in the veterinary domain, uh, there's there's two that I see across mo most hospitals that I've seen. One is that veterinary nurses or technicians, as we call them, uh, a lot of them join the profession truly because of the love 
for pets and uh, and their own pets, and they get the benefits uh, from the clinics they work at because they have five, seven dogs, and they get discount on food and the medical services. And then when the practice is acquired, that's all cut off. Um, and then the second reason why the burnout and suicide rate is much higher than other professions because we euthanize animals as a part of our job, and we have a quick access to the medications that do that, which is also a tremendous problem because number of veterinarians ended their life using those drugs. Yeah. So um, maybe one other question, and I'll see if Chip has any other questions before we wrap up, Ivan. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about respect for people um, and you know hierarchy within a veterinary uh, clinic or emergency practice. You've got um, let's say perhaps the owner, whether that's an individual or corporate, that owner may or may not be one of the um, DVMs. And then you maybe have some other um, veterinarians and then, you know, uh, assistants and in and, and other levels. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, this idea of maybe trying to break down some of that hierarchy and, and creating a different type of teamwork within a practice, how that that social side of lean might be beneficial? Well, I'm a huge advocate throughout my career of the uh, the pressure that is put on technicians, uh, which are nurses, so uh, similar role. And uh, the reason why I think that there's two environments that I operated in for the most part of my career. One is uh, emergency, where you really have to multitask between you know three, four, five exam rooms where you have, if you have proper teams around you, then you can execute on that very quickly and, you know, bring patients into the back and then, you know, they will do the blood work and the diagnostics. And then, um, so you can manage the team better. So you have to be friends with your team. Um, and the other one is, uh, when you go to the, uh, practices and do relief work, cause you're stepping into a new environment where there's little details that change is the anesthetic protocol, how they do their procedures and things like that. And I never wanted to fight with a group of, you know, veterinary technicians and say, no, I do this protocol. They've done it multiple times and me stressing them out with a new drug protocol will probably make things more difficult for me as well. So I always came into the hospital and said, look, you guys do the work. I will just blend in because I'm here at the guy for one day or two days or three days. But, uh, and I felt that uh, relying and embracing the people that do the work in the, in the clinic setting, I think it's the technicians. And I embraced the technicians all the time. And what the survey that I uh, conducted showed that they are more burned out than veterinarians, even though we shine more light on the veterinarian suicide and burnout, it turns out that they're burned out more than us. So I think if we start there and respect for people that do the work in the face of technicians at the level of the hospitals, that's probably step number one for me. Hmm. Chip, what are your thoughts here as we um, start to wrap this up? Well, I, I think uh, all of, you know, I agree with all of that. And, and of course, I'm, uh, I've been obsessed with lean and, and um, I, I just think that, uh, uh, veterinary medicine could benefit so much from at least exploring the lean or the operational excellence mindset. Um, but yeah, you, you know, doing, doing, um, relief work full time pretty much for me now, um, is you're, you're at the, you know, when you go in, it's, it's those techs and that team that, that you've got to work with. 
Um, they're the ones that that know the clients. They're the ones that know the patients. Um, and so it's it's much more beneficial or necessary, maybe even, for a relief vet to to have that kind of relationship with with those people. Uh, you depend on them to get you through a, a successful day in an environment you know nothing about. And uh, so I think it's it's for us in doing relief. I think it's much easier, um, and maybe uh, owners ought to go do some relief work someplace else and see what it, uh, what it uh, what it's like to have to uh, go into uh, an environment that you know nothing about, um, and 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 see really how good those people are at taking care of their veterinarians, um, and they deserve um, they deserve more. They in the in the past it's been uh, they've been the cause of all the problems. They need to be incorporated. They need to be included. They need to be invited to be part of the solutions. We need to partnership with our with our um, our staff uh, and let them own a little piece of that practice by the improvements that they make and through the 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 continuous uh, the continuous improvement and the taking care of of. Uh, of patients at the level that they that they do, and I think if um, you know if, we, if leans come into veterinary medicine, there's no doubt about it. It's just a matter of when and through which uh, which door and all that. But I've I've always felt that if we could make our case to the to the tech the techs the the, the staff and that sort of thing that, that we could create a, a ground uh, a grassroots. Uh, uh, groundswell uh, to to start getting more lean uh, in in our practices. Yeah, sounds like a great goal for many important reasons for the um, for the happiness for the life of uh, the people working there and for the good of the businesses. So, um, really appreciate that we can talk about these important topics. You know, um, we'll. Uh, I'll share links to um, you know papers and, and and from Ivan in the uh, the show notes and the the blog post for the episode. Um, you know, Ivan, before we um, bring it to a close, can you can you tell the listeners a little bit about your company, Veterinary Integration Solutions? Yeah, so in uh, Veterinary Integration Solutions, we uh, do what we've talked about the whole episode. Uh, we are working with consolidators and to improve um, operations uh, with the purpose of fighting the burnout in our profession. And the unique, I think, value proposition is that um, if corporations will build their business around caring for people, then people will stay to increase the value uh, that they bring back to their investors. And that's what uh, I'm investing my probably next five to 10 years to build the methodology framework and the software to, that goes along with it. And if people want to learn more um, about that, I know, I imagine our audience here, we, we've hopefully attracted more uh, veterinarians than usual. Um, so if there are people who could use your services, what's the website for your company? So vetintegrations.com, you can go onto the website and learn more about us, our methodology. Uh, we're going to be creating a university uh, within the organization that will teach uh, practice managers and technicians to elevate to the level of regional management. So that's coming soon. And then they can read more about the uh, burnout survey, which is in the footer of the website, uh, vetintegrations.com. 
Okay. Well, thank you. And, you know, I think the discussion today has been really interesting and relevant. I'm, I know we have people listening who are in human healthcare organizations of different types. And, and so much of this is really, it's just, it's about, it's about people. So I think what you've shared today, um, I, I think has been, uh, I'm sure really interesting to our audience who come from a wide range of different settings. So, um, you know, today I want to um, thank uh, Dr. Chip Ponsford for for his help, um, adding some insights and a couple of questions. His book, again, is Lean Veterinary Practice Management, Higher Quality, Less Waste, Better Resource Utilization, and Continuous Improvement. And um, Chip, the you've got a blog at leanvets.com, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's, um, um, I haven't had uh, time to, to do much with it, but uh, uh, it's I think it's got some pretty good stuff in it. And uh, I would like to um, uh, I would like to uh, uh, just say on a personal level how, um, how how much respect I have for 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 Dr. Sack for for doing all this and and being a proponent of of a of, of a mindset that I I believe in also. And I wish him the best of luck. Our profession needs him. It needs lean. Thanks, Chip. Likewise, you've done tremendous work in the, with the, with your book. So thank you. Well, thank you, Chip, and and thank you, Ivan. So again, our guest has been um, Dr. Ivan Zakharinov. Whoops, no, I kind of butchered that a little bit. That's um, good, <laughs> uh, Doctor Dr. Zach. I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Ivan Zakharinov. And um, no, I'm going to maybe edit that out. <laughs> um, I did better the very first time, I think. You did. And then uh, <laughs> now I'm thinking, and now I'm thinking about it too much. Um, all right. So uh, again, um, Ivan, want to thank you, Dr. Ivan Zach, um, and uh, give us your full name again for people who are going to see that in your papers. Or oh, try to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Ivan Zach Karen Koff. And I'll put a link to uh, the LinkedIn um, again in the show notes, so I won't ask you to. Um, spell it out for folks, but I um, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for uh, the time. Chip, thank you for spending your lunch break with us and um, go back and go take care of some other animals. Thank you so much, Mark. Anytime. Thanks guys. Ivan, thanks again. Cheers. Again, thanks to Ivan and Chip for doing the episode together to find links and more information. Go to leanblog.org slash 406. Thank you for subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.